Yo, cool pastor here. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. You see that? You see the title of the of the sermon, right? So just chill. No. Uh, as much as you're going to enjoy hearing this sermon, uh, just think that I had to enjoy it for the last two weeks as it was being put together. Uh, we're going to stand and we're going to read. We're going uh, a little bit differently because uh, normally we just stand and just read. But today uh, we're going to observe punctuation. Uh, so when we get to a comma, there will be a slight pause so that we can actually think about what we just said. And when we get to a, uh, a period there will, or a question mark, there will be a, a slightly longer pause, and we'll think deeper and harder, right? Would you stand with me? we got five verses. <clears throat> Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your... Now, y'all jumped into that awfully quickly without thinking about that question mark long enough. But that's okay. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power and the life that is in your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Righteous or unrighteous, uh, the American church, especially in the South, I think, uh, often uses these words, righteous or unrighteous, as sort of a litmus test of a true Christian. Now, that one's righteous. That's, it's got to be a true Christian. That's, that one's, that's not so righteous. I don't, I don't know if that's actually someone who belongs to, to Christ or not. And there are a couple of problems with this. One of the problems is that righteousness isn't something you can see. So how do you know? I mean, what does righteousness look like? I'd say it's about five foot nine. Gray hair. What's left of it usually wears a vest. Uh, no, there's no way you can look and go, oh, that's righteous. Or, or that's unrighteous. And also, it's not a biblical test. It's a man-made test. There's only one biblical uh, uh, test be, beyond professing faith in Christ. There's only one biblical test, and that biblical test 
is love. It's what we, it's what we sung and, and talked about the Father calling us deeper still into love, love, love. Jesus said, John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There is not another verse in Scripture that says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciple. There's there's nothing else besides, besides love. And John goes on to say in 1 John, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So, you know, it's kind of, it's not just if you love, we'll know you're my, people will know you're my disciple. It's if you don't love, you don't even know God. And you can't because that's, that's what he is. Now, it's not the flip. It's not love is God. No, because love isn't big enough to be God. There's nothing. Nothing in the, no single thing in the universe is big enough to be God, but God is love. And if you, and if you don't know love, then you can't, you can't know him. And we're very selective about what we call unrighteous. Most of the time in church, when you hear unrighteousness called out, it's used to refer to sexual immorality. I, uh, I, I saw a, a, a thing the other day where uh, this pastor had a, a, a quote under him, under his picture. It said, are you, uh, let's see, was it brave enough? Yeah, I think it was. Are you brave enough to call out unrighteousness? And I thought, are you? <laughs> because if you're just talking about sexual immorality, you haven't even scratched the surface. It's pretty easy to identify sexual immorality as long as we keep, keep quiet and cover up our own guilt. That should have gotten a groan at least out of the... It's pretty easy to call out sexual immorality as long as we keep quiet. Uh, uh, who, was it you, Barbie? Yes. Yeah, she was the one. Oh, yeah, Kevin gave it to her. Yeah, she's the one who got to talk about adultery and, and all that stuff. Yeah, it was actually supposed to happen on Mother's Day. Kevin thought, no, nah, we're not talking about that on Mother's Day. Uh, so he shifted it and gave it to a mother to, to share about. But anyway, yeah, uh, where Jesus said that if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart with them. I would ask for a show of hands, but that would divide the room into a group of adulterers and a group of liars. (laughs) Unrighteousness is defined not by itself. Unrighteousness is defined by what righteousness is. And righteousness is not defined by anything we do. Righteousness is defined by what God does. Everything he does is right. You are perfect in all of your ways. You know, there are things in Scripture that 
I would say used to bother me. I guess they still bother me because there are things in Scripture that I look at and go, man, that just wasn't right. I mean, they shouldn't have done that and everything, but God told them to do that. And then I finally had to come to, to terms, had come to grip, grips with the term that everything he does is right. I may not understand why it's right, but when I get to eternity then I'll be able to see some things that I can't see right now. Everything he does is right. And there is much that is unrighteous that has nothing to do with sexuality. And these things are rarely, rarely called out in the American church, and some of them are even exalted at the top of the list. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We're actually going to talk about judging. Don't worry. I don't want anybody to think that, oh, wow, we're not going to talk about judging today. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. But uh, at, at the top of the list of unrighteous things that are rarely called out in the American church is greed. In fact, often that is exalted. Wow, look how righteous I am because look at all this stuff I've got. And, you know, greed is... Uh, Greed is sometimes just greed, but sometimes it's motivated by fear. I need more stuff because I might not have enough stuff when stuff is needed. And over in Revelation, when it talks about those who end up in eternal damnation, the first group on the list is the fearful. And so... Greed, I would put that at the top of the list, uh, followed by the way we treat the poor and the immigrant. I had, a, uh, I had lunch with a pastor friend this week, and something came up where he, uh, uh, he said, wow, this, this is usually a long conversation. But, and he started to talk about immigrants. And I said, that's not a long conversation. Not for me. God says to work up, welcome the stranger and the foreigner. I don't care what any politician says. That's what God said in conversation. Are you judging me yet? <laughs> I'm just saying what God says. And actually, you know, those, those two things, greed and the way we treat the poor and, and, and the foreigner, uh, may not be the top of the list. The top of the list may be how we judge others. That may really be the top of the list of unrighteousness. Because you see, only God can judge. And when we put ourselves in the position of judging someone else, we have put ourselves in the position of God. And there's someone else who did that in Scripture. It'll come to me later because it's in my notes. So I'll... I'll bring it up. And some may counter, well there, are, well, there are certain things that we're supposed to judge. Things, yes. People, never. We're never given the authority or the license to judge people. Jesus did not say, you really shouldn't judge. Jesus said, do not judge. It wasn't, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a, it was a command. 
And the things that we are to judge, we're to judge for ourselves, not, not for somebody else. There, there are things in my life that I go, I, I can't go there. I shouldn't do that. I should do that. I need to do that. But you know what? I can't say, Barbie, you can't go there. You shouldn't do that. You need to do that. I can't actually say that to any of you because that's the Holy Spirit's job. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. I grew up thinking that I was supposed to judge. And you know what? A lot of times in church, we kind of get the idea that that's our job. Oh, come on, people. We get the idea that that's our job. Uh, I mean, I'm a Christian now. I'm saved. I need to start doing some judging. I grew up thinking that all smokers were going to hell. And I grew up thinking that. I'll tell you why. Here for a couple of reasons. Um, First of all, we were Pentecostal, and we were holiness, and we didn't do that stuff. And, you know, we'd drive, to church. we'd drive to church sometimes on Sunday morning, a little community, you know, 300 people in Millersville. And we'd drive to, to our church, and we'd drive past the Baptist church. And you know what those deacons would be doing out there on the front porch? Well, they, they didn't hold their breath or anything. But they, you know, this was the 50s. But, I mean, you know, okay. And be flicking, flicking their ashes. Okay. Ah, come back. Okay. Uh, but they'd be out there smoking, and I was going, but man, all those Baptists, they, they get, they're probably going probably going to hell. And then, I, and then I went to a Baptist church one time and I discovered that they believed in once saved, always saved. And I thought, no wonder so many people come to their churches. You got to get saved every week at our church. <laughs> and I had a theological backing for it because you see the scripture says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it also says that if someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And the Holy Spirit isn't going to hang out someplace that's under an air advisory alert every day. And so if the Holy Spirit's getting out of here, then you're going to hell. And I believed that right up until I started smoking. I was set free from the notion that I was supposed to judge by reading the Bible. You ever, you ever read something in the Bible that you have read? Hopefully, all of you have read various passages again and again and again. You ever read something in the Bible that you've read multiple times, and then one day you read it and it goes... And it just changes your life. Well, I had that happen to me about 20 years ago. I, I don't know exactly when it was. Uh, it was. It was after I came here because when I first came here, let me tell you, I still, I, I was, I knew enough to judge. You know, it took me a while to figure out I didn't know enough to judge. But I, uh, 
it's in Romans chapter 14, and, and there's so much in Romans that it's easy to, uh, it's easy to just kind of glide by chapter 14 and not necessarily pay attention. But Romans chapter 14, verse 4, became a life verse for me. And this is what it says. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? You talking to me? <laughs> to their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. I read that verse and went, Wait a minute. Does that say what I think it says? And I read it again. And every time I have read it since then, it has said the same thing. Who do you think you are to judge somebody else's servant? To, to judge another servant of the Lord? I, I mean, there are, there are people who I don't agree with what they say. I don't agree with maybe what they do. But it's not my place to go, hey, you're condemned. Now, uh, you know, before we get too crazy about this, yeah, there are people whose job is to judge concerning the civil law and the criminal law. And God's not, Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about that guy with the speck in his eye. That would be your brother. It's talking about judging someone that you know, someone close to you. And there are quite a number of reasons, quite a few reasons we're not to judge. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to touch on a few of them right now. First one is this. You could be wrong. Has that ever happened to you? When I was in the fourth grade, I remember it happened to me once. <laughs> when I was in the fourth grade, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not quite sure how lunchrooms are at school right now. Uh, I, back when I was a youth pastor, they were pretty cool. I mean, you'd get a hamburger or something at, at a lunchroom. I don't know if you can today or not, but... Uh, but when I was in the fourth grade in 1959 in Millersville, there, there weren't any hamburgers in the lunchroom. Oh, no, no, no. No, they served mystery meat and they served mystery vegetables. <laughs> the rolls are pretty good. And so I brought my lunch every day in a, in a paper bag. And I'm, I remember very clearly, I'll never forget it, this one day, uh, I went back to get my lunch out of the little cubby before we went down to the, uh, to the lunchroom, and it wasn't there. And I knew who took it. It's Billy Thomas. Because Billy Thomas, I mean, I was a friend with Billy Thomas, but Billy Thomas was, he was, uh, you know, he, he was a prankster. He liked to, he liked to play pranks and jokes on people. And so I knew that Billy Thomas took it, and I raised a stink. Billy Thomas took my lunch. And Billy Thomas, did not, he did not have the dignity to admit it. He just goes, no, I didn't. And in fact, he said, no, I didn't, in, with a grin on his face. Now, doesn't that mean he did it? And so that day, 
It never turned up. I mean, Billy never, never surrendered. So I ate mystery meat and I looked at mystery vegetables and I ate rolls. I got home and found out I was wrong because my lunch was sitting on the counter. Did I mention that my mother was my teacher in the fourth grade? She had been there for the whole thing. There was an apology the next day. Just because you think you're right doesn't mean you are. Jesus told a parable about uh, two guys who went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. And he said, this is how the Pharisee prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I am not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer. And I'm not even like that guy. The one right over there. And, you know, we look at that, at that Pharisee and we, and we kind of go, yeah, what a jerk. I mean, yeah, who, who, doesn't, who doesn't get that that's over the line? We don't get that it's over the line. Because we often feel in our hearts like, well, at least I'm not him. At least I'm not her. And the, the other guy, the publican, the tax collector, his prayer was a little shorter. All he could say was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that he was the one who was righteous. He was the one who went home justified in God's sight. Another reason why uh, we should never judge, we're not in a position to judge, is because you can't see into another person's heart. Over in, in John chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, Jesus has cleansed the temple, and uh, it's the first cleansing of the temple. And it says Jesus would not entrust himself to others. And the reason why is because Jesus did not need any testimony about others, he knew what was inside of a person. Now, that's a remarkable thing, to know what's inside of a person. And Jesus knew that. And often, we get bent out of shape, not because of what somebody did, but because of why we think they did it. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say that again, and we're going to... Think about it for a second. We often get bent out of shape, not because of what somebody did, but because of why we think they did it. We create their motive, and we pick up an offense that the vast majority of the time is not really there. In fact, it's almost never there. But we picked it up anyway because I know why he did that. I know why, I know why, I know why she did that. You know, I have, and I, and I don't think I'm alone in this. I'm, I'm sure every pastor has encountered this, and maybe every person, I don't know. But I have, on several occasions, had people come up to let me know that they have forgiven me for something that I had no clue happened. 
Well, I'm glad they forgave me. But I'm sorry, I wasn't involved. I mean, I really wasn't. I don't say that. I say, oh, thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that very much. But inside, I'm going, well, when? What? And the reason why is because we think it's all about us. You see, we're allowed to have a bad day. We, we, uh, we are allowed to be upset about something that doesn't have anything to do with anybody who's in the room with us. But we tend not to extend that grace to others. And allow them, you know, I mean, if they, if, they, if they do something that strikes us wrong, it's got to be about me. They have to do it because they thought they, they were trying to get at me. And the truth of the matter is, that's almost never the case. I mean, think about yourself. How often, well, I mean, you know, there may be a few of you in here, and, and <laughs> maybe even been a time or two that I might have uh, resembled this remark, but how often have you intentionally hurt someone? Almost never. And the truth of the matter is, it's very rare for someone to intentionally hurt you. Now, I'm not saying it never happens, but it's very rare. Happens a lot less than we think it does. Another reason why we shouldn't judge is because you don't know another person's situation. You, you, don't, know, you don't know what's going on. I, uh, Bruce Coble, it's a, uh, just a real simple uh, story, but I, I'll never forget Bruce uh, saying one time he was behind this guy on the interstate, and the guy was doing like 40 or something, and he'd been behind him. I mean, and Bruce is one of these guys who's going to stay in his lane, uh, and it, the guy was doing like 40, and you know, and after after a couple of miles, Bruce was getting a little <laughs> a little uptight about this, and so he finally pulled around him, you know, and of course I, if 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 it had been me, I would have been around him a long time ago. But Bruce finally pulled around him and, uh, and probably accelerated, you know, all the way up to 50 or something himself and, and looked over at the guy, and he was crying. And I thought, I mean, I'd never forget him telling that, that story. I thought, oh, you don't know, uh, you know... It's so easy to say, I would never do that. And yet, uh, you know, Simon Peter uh, said, I would never deny you, Lord. And, and we know, we know uh, that he did deny him. Let me, let me flesh out his story just a little bit there. Give you a little backstory. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane, first of all. That's how that night started out. Well, actually, they started out at the, at the supper, but they were, they were in the garden and Jesus said, Hey, I'm going to go over here and pray. You three guys, you're my special guys. I need you to pray with me. All right. And so Jesus goes over to pray. And Peter falls asleep and Jesus comes back to him and goes, Hey, wake up, Peter, wake up. You know, I need you to pray with me, man. I'm going to go over here and pray. I need you to pray with me. And he goes over here to pray and Peter falls asleep again. And so Jesus comes back to him and goes, you're still sleeping, huh? Well, they're here now. 
and, and Peter, and I, I feel like it had to be out of a sense of, oh man, I let the Lord down. I, I, I failed him. Uh, decide, I'm going to make up for it. And so he grabs his sword to kill somebody, which of course is exactly how we make up for failing the Lord. And he, and, he, and he tries to cut this guy's head off, and he gets his ear. That's all he gets. He, he cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus has to rebuke him, and, you know, and he heals the ear. So I, I guess Peter doesn't get arrested or something. And, and they're, they're leading Jesus off, and Peter, Peter follows him. Okay, hey, all right, I'm going to make it up to him. I'm going with him. And they get to, they get to the, the high priest's house. They take Jesus inside. Peter is at the gate. And John comes out to get him in, uh, into the courtyard. And as he's coming into the courtyard, there's a little girl. Uh, and it, it doesn't say how old she is, but it makes it very clear that it's not a woman. It's a, it's a young girl. This young girl says to him, oh, you were with him too, weren't you? And Peter goes, no. Ever get caught off guard? Ever get in a situation where you just, oh, uh, no, uh-uh. uh, and kind of don't even think a thing about it, and you just go on, but you really took the easy way out. And then they're in the, so now they're in the, uh, in the courtyard, and things are pretty tense. You ever, you ever been in a, in a tense situation? Uh, I, <laughs> 1974, uh, Richard Nixon came to visit Nashville, and I went, I was not a Richard Nixon fan, and uh, Watergate was at its height and everything, and so I, you know, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Bruce Newman, and I, we actually took a couple of girls on a date to go protest Nixon, and <laughs> uh, I don't know about him, I know she never went out with me again, but anyway, we, uh, we, we, we had our, we had our sign, we had some signs up about um, uh, Ehrlichman and Haldeman, you're not old enough to know who that is. Don't worry about it. And so we, uh, uh, Nixon was giving his speech in, in, the, uh, in the airplane hangar out at Berry Field. And we got there kind of early, so we just went on in. You know, We were unaware that there was a special section outside the hangar where the protesters were supposed to go. And, and so, yeah, oh, and... Uh, <laughs> So we're in there, and, and the place gets packed, and it gets full, and it's exciting and everything. And he, he comes, and, and he starts to make a speech, and we hold our signs up. Things got tense. <laughs> I, now, I will say, I'm glad this was the 70s and not today, because we did not get beat up. But our signs didn't stay up very long. And like I say, the girl never went out with me again. But... Things got tense around Peter. Hey, you sound like a Galilean. Your, your accent gives you away. I, I, I'm pretty sure you were with him. Uh, no, 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 it's not my sign. Yeah. And, uh, and then the third one comes because Peter's probably, he may, you know, he's had a little time to, to mull this over and he may think, okay, he said three times, I, I got one more strike left. I'm definitely not going to do it this time. But John tells us what happened the third time. Man comes up to Peter, 
a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off and says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? No, that was not me. You don't know. You see, we see see a square inch of a picture that's like 20 by 16 and got 320 square inches in it. We got one square inch. God sees 320. Guess why we're not supposed to judge? Another reason is because when we judge someone, we do the work of Satan. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a word wonk. I, 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 I don't do a lot of word study. Uh, you know, when Barbie gets up and goes, well, in the Greek, this means, and in the Hebrew, this means, and stuff. To be very honest, I initially go, oh, come on, words. But by the time she's finished, I'm usually going, really? Means that. Uh, and, then, and then last week, I mean, Vonda did it with English. You know, he was talking about worry. <laughs> Get you by the throat. Oh, wow. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. You know what the Hebrew word for Satan is? Satan. <laughs> and you know what it means? Accuser. In fact, one of his titles is the accuser of the brethren. And so when we accuse, when we judge this one and that one, we're doing his work. That's whose work. And he is the one who said, I will put myself in the position of God. I will exalt myself above the most high. Come on, y'all come with me and let's all do it together. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When we judge, you know, I've always wanted this church to be, and I feel like it is by and large. I mean, nothing's perfect. Nobody bats a thousand, but I feel like by and large, it is the kind of church where a person can come and be real, be who they really are and not be judged for what they wear or how they look or who they voted for or what. Or any of that stuff, you know, and I, and I believe it, it, it is that kind of church. But when we judge, when we do judge others, it's not just something that's, that causes trouble for us. It, it creates a bitter root that, according to the Bible, defiles many. Well, one other reason why we, you guys can come on out. People will feel better if you're out here. <laughs> I still got a little more to say, but yeah, give me a little background music. Uh, how many of you have heard the term, people who live in glass houses should not throw rocks? Yeah, well, okay. Just in case you hadn't, I wanted to be sure it was out there. Another reason for not judging is because you live in a glass house. I live in a glass house. And Jesus talked about it here. He said, you know, you're looking at that little speck in your brother's eye. And what you don't realize, you got a log, baby, in your own eye. So let's just go back about this. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. 
touched on the immorality thing earlier, you know, and said, easy to cast stones there as long as you're covering up your own stuff. But uh, I would say that the next biggest thing that gets called out, I'd say the two things that really get called out in the, in the church, immorality and then uh, addiction. He's a, he's a drug addict. She's an alcoholic. You know, that's wrong. How many of you are here today? And when you woke up this morning, the first thing you thought was, where's my coffee? I said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Huh? Caffeine's an addiction. It's a physical addiction. I go, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Caffeine is absolutely an addiction. If you don't get enough of it, you get... If you get enough of it, you, you can do stuff. If you don't get enough of it, you, your head hurts. Get irritable. I call that an addiction. How many are addicted to the news? Hello? Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, you know that it's designed to make you angry and get you upset. And the reason that it's designed to make you angry and get you upset is because it raises their advertising revenue. And, and so, I mean, you go, well, I need to know what's going on. Why? So you can pray about it? Do you? Pray about it? Or do you just watch it and get angry and upset? How many of us are addicted to judging? I mean, it's just second nature. It's what we do. What we do. I, yeah, look, no. No. That one, that one, that one. Instead of, instead of just being free. And, and, the, and the thing is that oftentimes the one that we judge the most is ourselves. And we, and we kind of have this rationale that, well, I judge myself harder than I judge anybody. You're not even supposed to do that. Because you're not your judge. God is. God is. But now here's the, okay, after 30 minutes of that stuff, here's the good news, the good promise. <laughs> uh, and, and, well, no, let me, before I go there, I need to say one other thing because, you know, there's a tendency to think that, okay, I'm addicted to caffeine. Yeah, they're addicted to cocaine. That's really bad. You ever read the book of James? James says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking the whole thing because our God is perfect and holy and righteous in all of his ways. Okay, now here's the good news. See, Luke covers this same 
incident, but he adds something. He says, Jesus said this, do not judge and you will not be judged. So, so if I don't judge other people, I won't be judged. Well, that's what it says. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. When, when I said we have a tendency to judge ourselves, it's this, it's this downward spiral. You know, I, I, I judge my brother and, and then I judge myself. And, then, and, and the more I judge myself, the more I judge my brother. And the, and the more I judge my brother, the more I judge myself. And it just, it just tumbles. But Jesus came to set us free. So that's why he said, do not judge. Because then you won't be judged either. It's complex, but it's simple. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm almost done. When I was four years old, I have a memory. It's very clear. You go, no, you don't. Yes, I do. Well, you hear the memory. Uh, my mom was in the kitchen. And, you know, uh, when you're a four-year-old, your mom's in the kitchen, there's no telling what you'll get into. And she's, she was working on something, you know, doing whatever people fixing food do. And, and I walked by the stove, and there was this beautiful red glow at the top of the stove. I went, oh, that is so, that looks so good. And I took my hand, and I wanted to touch it, and I did. But not for long. I promise you, there had been times prior to that when my mom had said, don't touch that stove when it's on. And yet I did. It's very simple. Jesus says, don't judge. And every time you do, you just put your hand on the burner because of what it does to our, to our, into our soul, to our spirit, how it breaks us down. After Jesus rose from the dead, he had breakfast with his disciples and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Ask him three times. And, and, and Peter, each time, went, Lord, I love you. Yeah, you know I love you. Lord, you can see my heart. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, follow me. Let me tell you something about yourself, Peter. When you were young, you dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. When you get older, someone else is going to dress you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death Peter was going to die. Uh, and glorify God with. But follow me, just follow me. And so they began, to, they began to, to walk away, and Peter noticed that John was back there, and, and he goes, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to live until, remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You have to follow me. We start out following Jesus, and I think the biggest impediment that we have to following Jesus is, well, what about that one? And that one? Okay. 
and, and, and that one. We got our eyes on the wrong place. You must follow me. You can stand. Those who are going to pray with people, come down. Uh, this, this isn't necessarily an altar call for, you know, come down and be prayed for about judging people because people came with, with needs. People came with, some people need healing. Some people need comfort. Some people need other things. The Holy Ghost will take care of this sermon later on in the week, hopefully. But if you came and you needed prayer, these brothers and sisters will pray with you and we're going we're gonna to worship for a few moments as we wait on you.